This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Damsel in Distress by P. G. Wodehouse. As read for LibriVox by Madame Tusk. Chapter 22 Young Blighted Albert said Keggs the butler, shifting his weight so that it distributed itself more comfortably over the creaking chair in which he reclined. "'Let this be a lesson to you, young fellow, me lad.' The day was a week after Lord Marshmoreton's visit to London, the hour six o'clock. The housekeeper's room, in which the upper servants took their meals, had emptied. Of the gay company which had just finished dinner, only Keggs remained, placidly digesting. Albert— whose duty it was to wait on the upper servants, was moving to and fro, morosely collecting the plates and glasses. The boy was in no happy frame of mind. Throughout dinner the conversation at table had dealt almost exclusively with the now celebrated elopement of Reggie Bing and his bride, and few subjects could have made more painful listening to Albert. "'What's been the result in what I might call the upshot?' said Keggs, continuing his homily, of all your making yourself so busy and thrusting yourself forward and meddling in the affairs of your elders and betters. The upshot, the issue of it, has been that you are out five shillings and nothing to show for it. Five shillings what you might have spent on some good book and improved your mind, and goodness knows it wants all the improving it can get, for all the worthless, idle little messes it's ever been my misfortune to have dealings with. You are the champion. Be careful of them plates, young man, and don't breathe so hard. "'You haven't got Hasma or something, have you?' "'I can't breathe now,' complained the stricken child. "'Not like a grampus, you can't, and don't you forget it.' Keggs wagged his head reprovingly. "'Well, so your Reggie Bing's gone and eloped, has he? "'That ought to teach you'd be more careful another time "'how you go gambling and plunging into sweepstakes. "'The idea of a child of your age having the audacity to thrust hisself forward like that.' "'Don't call him my Reggie Bing. I didn't draw him.' "'There's no need to go into all that again, young feller.' You accepted him freely and without prejudice when the fair exchange was suggested, so for all practical intents and purposes, he is your Reggie Bing, and I hope you're going to send him a wedding present. Well, you ain't any better off than me with all your highway robbery. My what? You heard what I said. Well, don't let me hear it again. The idea. If you had any objections to parting with that ticket, you should have stated them clearly at the time. And what do you mean by saying I ain't any better off than you are? I have my reasons. You think you have which is a very different thing. I suppose you imagine that you've put a stopper on a certain little affair by surreptitiously destroying letters entrusted to you. I never! exclaimed Albert with a convulsive start that nearly sent eleven plates dashing to destruction. How many times have I got to tell you to be careful of them plates? said Keggs sternly. Who do you think you are, a juggler of the alls, earning them about like that? Yes, I know all about that letter. You thought you was a very clever, I've no doubt. But let me tell you, young blighted Albert, that only the other evening her ladyship and Mr. Bevan had a long and extended interview in spite of all your efforts. I saw through your little game, and I proceeded and went and arranged the meeting. In spite of himself, Albert was awed. He was oppressed by the sense of struggling with the superior intellect. Yes, you did, he managed to say with the proper tone of incredulity, but in his heart he was not incredulous. Dimly, Albert had begun to perceive that years must elapse before he could become capable of matching himself in battles of wits with this master strategist. "'Yes, I certainly did,' said Keggs. "'I don't know what happened at the interview, not being present in person, but I've no doubt that everything proceeded satisfactorily.' 
"'And a fat lot of good that's going to do you "'when he ain't allowed to come inside the house.' "'A bland smile irradiated the butler's moonlike face. "'If by you are alluding to Mr. Bevan, young blighted Albert, "'let me tell you that it won't be long "'before he comes a regular, duly invited guest to the castle. "'A lot of chance! "'Would you care to have another five shillings even money on it?' "'Albert recoiled. "'He had had enough of speculation where the butler was concerned. "'Where that schemer was allowed to get within reach of it, "'hard cash melted away.' "'What are you going to do?' "'Never you mind what I'm going to do. "'I have my methods. "'All I have to say to you is that tomorrow or the day after, "'Mr. Bevan will be seated in our dining-hall "'with his feet under our table, "'replying according to his personal taste and preference "'when I ask him if he'll have ock or sherry. "'Brush all them crumbs carefully off the tablecloth, "'young blighted Albert. "'Don't shuffle your feet. "'Brief softly through your nose, "'and close the door behind you when you've finished.' "'I'll go and eat cake.' said Albert bitterly, but he said it to his immortal soul, not aloud, and the lad's spirit was broken. Keggs, the processes of digestion completed, presented himself before Lord Belpher in the billiard-room. Percy was alone. The house-party, so numerous on the night of the ball and on his birthday, had melted down now to reasonable proportions. The second and third cousins had retired, flushed and gratified, to obscure dens from which they had emerged, and the castle housed only the more prominent members of the family, always harder to dislodge than the small fry. The bishop still remained, and the colonel. Besides these, there were perhaps half a dozen more of the closer relations. To Lord Belpher's way of thinking, half a dozen too many. He was not fond of his family. "'Might I have a word with your lordship?' "'What is it, Keggs?' Keggs was a self-possessed man, but he found it a little hard to begin. Then he remembered that once, in the misty past, he had seen Lord Belpher spanked for stealing jam, he himself having acted on that occasion as prosecuting attorney, and the memory nerved him. "'I earnestly hope that your lordship will not think that I am taking a liberty. I have been in his lordship's for your father's service many years now, and the family honour is, if I may be pardoned for saying so, extremely near to my heart.' "'I have known your lordship since you were a mere boy, and—' Lord Belpher had listened with growing patience to this preamble. His temper was seldom at its best these days, and the rolling periods annoyed him. "'Yes, yes, of course,' he said. "'What is it?' Keggs was himself now. In his opening remarks he had simply been, as it were, winding up. He was now prepared to begin. "'Your lordship will recall inquiring of me on the night of the ball as to the bona fides of one of the temporary waiters.' "'The one that stated that he was the cousin of young blight "'of the boy, Albert the page. "'I have been making inquiries, your lordship, "'and I regret to say I find that the man was an impostor. "'He informed me that he was Albert's cousin, "'but Albert now informs me that he has no cousin in America. "'I am extremely sorry this should have occurred, your lordship, "'and I hope you will attribute it to the bustle and haste "'inseparable from the duties as mine on such occasion. "'I know the fellow was an impostor. "'He was probably after the spoons.' Keggs coughed. If I might be allowed to take a further liberty, your lordship, might I suggest that I am aware of the man's identity and of his motive for visiting the castle? He waited a little apprehensively. This was the crucial point in the interview. If Lord Belpher did not now freeze him with a glance and order him from the room, the danger would be past, and he could speak freely. His light blue eyes were expressionless as they met Percy's, but inwardly he was feeling much the same sensation as he was wont to experience when the family was in town, and he had managed to slip off to Kempton Park or some other race-course, and put some of his savings on a horse. As he felt when the racing steeds thundered down the straight, 
So did he feel now. Astonishment showed in Lord Belpher's round face. Just as it was about to be succeeded by indignation, the butler spoke again. "'I am aware, your lordship, that it is not my place to offer suggestions as to the private and intimate affairs of the family I have the honour to serve, but if your lordship would consent to overlook the liberty, I think I could be of help and assistance in a matter which is causing annoyance and unpleasantness to all.' He invigorated himself with another dip into the waters of memory. Yes, the young man before him might be Lord Belpher, son of his employer, and heir to all these great estates, but once he had seen him spanked. Perhaps Percy also remembered this. Perhaps he merely felt that Keggs was a faithful old servant, and, as such, entitled to thrust himself into the family affairs. Whatever his reasons, he now definitely lowered the barrier. Well he said, with a glance at the door, to make sure that there were no witnesses to an act of which the aristocrat in him disapproved. Go on. Keggs breathed freely. The danger point was past. Having a natural interest in your lordship, he said, we of the servants all generally manage to become respectfully aware of whatever happens to be transpiring above stairs. May I say that I became acquainted at an early stage with the trouble which your lordship is unfortunately having with a certain party? Lord Belpher, although his whole being revolted against what practically amounted to hobnobbing with a butler, perceived that he had committed himself to the discussion. It revolted him to think that these delicate family secrets were the subject of conversation in menial circles, but it was too late to do anything now. And such was the whole-heartedness with which he had declared war upon George Bevan, that, at this stage in the proceedings, his chief emotion was a hope that Keggs might have something sensible to suggest." "'I think, begging your lordship's pardon for making the remark, that you are acting injudicious. I have been in service a great number of years, starting as a steward's room boy, and rising to my present position, and I may say I have had experience during those years of several different cases where the daughter or son of the house contemplated a misalliance, and all but one of the cases ended disastrously, your lordship, on account of the family trying opposition.' It is my experience that opposition in matters of the art is useless, feeding, as it, so to speak, does the flame. Young people, your lordship, if I may be pardoned for employing the expression in the present case, are naturally romantic, and if you keep em away from a thing, they sit and pity themselves and want it all the more, and in the end you may be sure they get it. There's no way of stopping em. I was not on sufficiently easy terms with the late Lord Wallingham to give him the benefit of my experience on the occasion when the Honourable Aubrey Pershaw fell in love with a young person at the Gaiety Theatre. Otherwise I could have told him he was not acting judicious. His lordship opposed the match in every way, and the young couple ran off and got married at the registrar's. It was the same when a young man, who was tutor to her ladyship's brother, attracted Lady Evelyn Walls, the only daughter of the Earl of Ackleton. In fact, your lordship, the only entanglement of the kind that came to a satisfactory conclusion in the whole of my personal experience was the affair of Lady Catherine Doosby, Lord Bridgefield's daughter, who injudiciously became infatuated with the roller-skating instructor. Lord Belpher had ceased to feel distantly superior to his companion. The butler's powerful personality hypnotized him. Long ere the harangue was ended, he was as a little child drinking in the utterances of a master. He bent forward eagerly. Keggs had broken off his remarks at the most interesting point. "'What happened?' inquired Percy. "'The young man,' proceeded Keggs, "'was a young man of considerable personal attractions, "'having large brown eyes and an athletic, lissome figure, "'brought about by roller-skating. 
It was no wonder, in the opinion of the servants all, that her ladyship should have found herself fascinated by him, particularly, as I myself had heard her observe at a full luncheon-table, that roller-skating was, in her opinion, the only thing except her toy Pomeranian that made life worth living. But when she announced that she had become engaged to this young man, there was the greatest consternation. I was not, of course, privileged to be a participant at any of the councils and discussions that ensued and took place, but I was aware that such transpired with great frequency. Eventually, his lordship took the shrewd step of assuming acquiescence, and inviting the young man to visit us in Scotland, and within ten days of his arrival, your lordship, the match was broken off. He went back to his roller-skating, and a ladyship took up visiting the poor, and eventually contracted an altogether suitable alliance by marrying Lord Ronald Spoforth, the second son of his grace, the Duke of Gorbals, at Strothbungo. How did it happen? Seeing the young man in the surroundings of her own home, her ladyship soon began to see that she had taken too romantic a view of him previous, your lordship. He was one of the lower middle class, what is sometimes termed the bourgeoisie, and his habits were not the habits of the class to which her ladyship belonged. He had nothing in common with the rest of the house-party, and was injudicious in his choice of forks. The very first night at dinner he took a steel knife to the entree, and I see her ladyship look at him very sharp, as much to say that scales had fallen from her eyes. It didn't take her long after that to become convinced that her aunt had led her astray. Then, you think— it is not for me to presume to offer anything but the most respectful advice to your lordship, but I should most certainly advocate a similar procedure in the present instance. Lord Belpher reflected. Recent events had brought home to him the magnitude of the task he had assumed when he had appointed himself the watcher of his sister's movements. The affair of the curate and the village blacksmith had shaken him both physically and spiritually. His feet were still sore, and his confidence in himself had waned considerably. The thought of having to continue his espionage indefinitely was not a pleasant one. How much simpler and more effective it would be to adopt a suggestion which had been offered to him. "'I'm not sure you aren't right, Keggs. Thank you, your lordship. I feel convinced of it. I will speak to my father to-night. Very good, your lordship. I'm glad to have been of service.' "'Young blighted Albert,' said Keggs crisply, shortly after breakfast on the following morning. You are to take this note to Mr. Bevan at the cottage down by Platt's farm, and you are to deliver it without playing any of your monkey tricks, and you are to wait for an answer, and you are to bring that answer back to me, too, and to Lord Marshmoreton, and I may tell you, to save you the trouble of opening it with steam from the kitchen kettle, that I have already done so. It's an invitation to dine with us tonight. So, now you know. Look slippy. Albert capitulated. For the first time in his life he felt humble— he perceived how misguided he had been ever to suppose that he could pit his pygmy wits against this smooth-faced worker of wonders. "'Crikey!' he ejaculated. It was all he could say. "'And there's one more thing, young fellow, me lad,' added Keggs earnestly. "'Don't you ever grow up to be such a fat-head as our friend Percy. Don't you forget I warned you.'" End of chapter 22